And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. And it goes on to talk about the burnt offerings. Now, this is the first time in the Bible that you read of an altar being built. The word altar appears. Now, we know it's not the first time that blood was shed in the worship of God. But it is the first time that we have a revelation in the Bible of man seeking God by a sacrifice on an altar. And for this reason, of course, God had prepared the way when he told Noah to take not only two by two of every animal, but of the clean animals, which would be used for food and sacrifice, take them by seven pairs. Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak. Today we continue with Bible interpretation. What is something that every Christian needs to know the basics? There are too many cults, too many aberrant religions, too many that speak in some form of plausible terms of adherence to the Bible, but they don't even go beyond the sound of words. If you were to read any other book, if you were to read any other manual, the way some people handle the Bible, it would be an absolute mismatch confusion. There are basic principles that we need to adhere to that we might interpret the Bible aright. And then when we handle the Old Testament, we need to understand that it is more than just history. It is more than just some form of uh, legacy that comes and builds up the way to the New Testament, but rather into the very fabric of the Old Testament scriptures, there are built revelations of the Lord Jesus. So we can truly say that we seek to find Christ in all the scriptures, and that the Old Testament is the new uh, that is being contained, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So stay tuned with us as we come to this subject today from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale on Bible interpretation. Don't miss Christ. That's the thrust of what we're learning on this Bible interpretation on types, shadows, and figures in the Old Testament. Don't miss Christ. When you read the lives and the events of the Old Testament, they're not just scattered historic uh, issues that developed and were resolved or became a problem and people either lived in or died in. There is right through the Bible a wonderful preparing the way for the ministry and the life of the Lord Jesus. Now, I've just been preparing the way to this point, because now we come to the meat of the message on Noah as a type. And I want to take you to chapter 8 and to verse 20, and I want you to see that Noah is a type of Christ when he built the altar. Uh, Genesis 8, verse 20, and Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. And it goes on to talk about the burnt offerings. 
Now, this is the first time in the Bible that you read of an altar being built. The word altar appears. Now, we know it's not the first time that blood was shed in the worship of God, but it is the first time that we have a revelation in the Bible of man seeking God by a sacrifice on an altar. And for this reason, of course, God had prepared the way when He told Noah to take not only two by two of every animal, but of the clean animals, which would be used for food and sacrifice, take them by seven pairs, so that there would be sufficient animals for sacrificing. You could imagine what have happened if there only had been one pair of animals, of whatever the sacrifice was, oxen or sheep, and God commanded Noah now to offer them in sacrifice, they'd be extinct. God was preparing the way. And now He is commanding Noah to build an altar and to sacrifice by the blood. And we're told that He offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, we learn something, that while Noah escaped the sin and the judgment of the world by the flood, sin was still with him in the ark. Sin was still in his life and in his family. And although Noah was a saved man in the sense that he was saved from the flood, and although he was God's man in the world, he could not approach God without a sacrifice by blood, nor can we. And this debunks the notion that man can ever be sinlessly perfect this side of heaven. We always have a problem of sin when we seek fellowship with God. And God is teaching us and teaching His people throughout history that God always demands blood, a blood sacrifice, that we may be reconciled and worship God acceptably. Now, this doctrine of the blood—we call it a doctrine because it's a consistent teaching right through the Bible—this doctrine of the blood continues not only in the life of Noah, but in Abraham and the patriarchs, in Moses and the Levitical sacrifices, right to the day of Christ. And so, Noah here is not only offering a personal sacrifice, but he is doing something that is a picture of the Lord Jesus offering atonement and offering blood to be reckoned to reconcile the world unto himself. In this sacrificing in the blood of the altar, Noah typifies our Lord Jesus in a very clear and a very dramatic fashion. And so, we get to the cross from Genesis 8. Now, that ought to be the goal of the preacher. Get to the cross from every part of Scripture. And if our Bible study and if our preaching ministry has not enabled us to see the cross and the very theme of redemption, we're most likely missing something. And we need the right glasses. We need gospel glasses. We need Calvary glasses, that when we read this Old Testament passage and any particular passage of the Old Testament, 
We need our gospel glasses on to see the pattern, the pictures of our Lord Jesus. And that's why so many people, when they read the Old Testament, say, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's just a whole slate of historic patterns or ideas, but I don't see anything with any real significance or meaning. And of course, if you've got the, the glasses of the world, they don't see it. If they've got the glasses of their own importance and IQ and their pride, well, who wants to read about a blood sacrifice? It's the most humbling thing to the heart of man, because it really tells us that we're not right with God without the blood and without redemption. And so we say again, as we think of Noah, a type of Christ, and this altar and sacrifice, don't miss Christ. Number five, Noah was a type of Christ in the covenant which God made with him. We're going to go now to uh, chapter 8, verse 21, and it says, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Now, I might digress here. The offering that Noah made pleased God. It had its impact upon God. It was God who smelled this sweet savor. And if I look at my margin, there is an alternate reading in the Hebrew word for savor, and it means rest. So what does that tell me? That this sacrifice, this burnt offering that Noah offered to God, it put God's wrath at rest. It made an impact upon the holiness of God to be appeased, satisfied, and well-pleased with Noah. And Noah was now the object of God's fellowship, of God's friendship. And that's why we come to the covenant, and the covenant follows the blood. The covenant follows the atoning work. Now, we read on here in verse 21, And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I smite again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Now, there is really a promise. God says, I will never again do it. When you go to chapter 9 and verse 9, you will see this promise ratified by a particular arrangement called a covenant. Chapter 9, verse 9, and I, behold, will establish my covenant with you. Now, the first thing to notice, it's not Noah's covenant. It was not Noah's idea. It was not Noah negotiating and bargaining with God. It was God, after he smelled the sweet savor of the sacrifice, who was resting now in good pleasure with Noah. He said, Noah, I'm going to share with you my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And you'll notice again in verse 11, and I will establish my covenant with you. And then in verse 12, I make between me and you and every living creature. So the first thing to notice is that God is the initiator of this covenant arrangement, this contract between God and Noah and his offspring. 
God is the initiator. It is His plan, His purpose. It's all of grace. It's all of God. And it's all mercy. Because Noah, well, he should have perished in the world with the rest of humanity. God is the author of it. And then in that verse 9, he's also the guarantor of the covenant. He says, I will establish my covenant with you. He's never going to go back on his arrangement. He's never going to pull the plug and destroy this world again by another flood. He's never again going to allow his wrath to destroy the world in that manner. And he keeps his promises. And then when you go down to verse 15, you will see that he says, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And in verse 13, I do set my bow. Isn't this how interesting how God speaks? It's my bow. It's not your rainbow. It's my rainbow. I put my rainbow in the clouds. And you'll notice the reason why God does it. He says, and I will remember my covenant. So the rainbow is a reminder to God, a reminder to God, as if God needs to be reminded of his promises. Did you ever notice that a rainbow is always hoopside up? It's pointing heavenward. There's no arrow in the bow because this is all mercy. The wrath is gone. And the rainbow is pointing Godward to remind God of his arrangement with man, that he will never again destroy the world by a flood. And that introduces us to who God is. He's a God of mercy. Now, in one side of Noah's life, when you say Noah, we all think judgment, because that's the history of the world and the judgment that fell upon the world by that flood and the millions and perhaps billions of people that perished in that flood, that tells us God is angry against sinners. But in Noah's covenant and the bow in the, in the sky, it tells us that this God who is capable of damning the world is also a God of mercy and of great compassion, slow to wrath, swift to bless. And it's all guaranteed. Now, I know that there's an awful lot of details left out compared to when you read the book of Romans. But what you have here in the life of Noah are the fundamentals of the covenant of grace. It's the same gospel that Paul preached, the same gospel that our Lord Jesus came into the world to live for, to die for, and to rise again for. And you have a revelation of God dealing with one man that he might bring blessing to multitudes and dealing with him on a covenant basis, a sure arrangement, an unbreakable contract, and he publicizes or announces the covenant with the rainbow in the sky. Now, what we need to do as we see these sketches and these pictures all framed out in the Old Testament as if in pencil line. We've got to say, that's how God deals with me through the Lord Jesus. By his death, by his blood, God is now satisfied 
and at rest. There is peace for me. My sins are gone, and this covenant arrangement can never be broken. That's why I preach, if you're saved today, you're saved for all eternity. Now, we know Noah's life later on. He was no perfect man. He blew it morally. He made a mess of his testimony. But I assure you tonight that Noah's in heaven. Revelation, or sorry, Hebrews 11 assures us Noah's mentioned in the hall of faith as a man of God, a man whom God made a covenant. You see, it was not Noah's making. It was not Noah's promise. It was not Noah's performance. It was God took pleasure in the blood atonement, and God was moved to make an unbreakable arrangement, a covenant ratified by blood, that he would save Noah and bring him into fellowship and into blessing with himself. Now, how do we get the meat to be digestible for us tonight? Well, there's a passage in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 1. I'm going to read it. You can join me in reading it if you wish. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Because God makes a covenant with every Christian. He makes it through the Lord Jesus. He gives promises, guarantees, absolutes, and that's what Christians live on. That's what Christians live and die on. That's our hope in life and death. And we're told here in 2 Corinthians 1.18, But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. In other words, it was not an uncertain word. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was Yea, it was sure. For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him. Amen. Unto the glory of God. Who hath sealed us. That word sealed means stamped. And given the earnest or the purchase pledge of the Spirit in our hearts. You're born again tonight. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, and that is the guarantee of eternal life, that God has made a gospel covenant with you. And it's not uncertain. It is yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And so we take this covenant certainty, and we take it to our own hearts and say, that's the gospel that God has revealed to me. And that's the salvation that saves my soul. It's by a God of mercy who will never break his promises. Now, I wrap up tonight that Noah is a type of the Lord Jesus because he's the man of the new beginning. We learned in Second Peter that Noah was the eighth person. That means he was the eighth generation in the history of the world. From Adam to Noah, you count eight generations. Father, son, father, son, father, son, right down to Noah. He was the number eight. Eight in the Bible is the number of a new beginning. And of course, when he came out of that ark after the flood was dried up, there was literally a new beginning, a new world, a world where God was at rest, 
where judgment was over and where there was peace. When we preach the gospel, we tell sinners there's a new beginning for you. There is one whom God has ordained who can deal with all the sin and the condemnation that's upon your life, put it all away, and give you a new beginning, a life of fellowship with God, a life of grace, a life of blessing, a life that every day is a day nearer heaven and home. And that's what our Lord Jesus offers to every sinner to whom we preach the gospel. He calls men to repent, turn away from their sin, believe on the Lord Jesus, and enjoy the power and the victory of the gospel in their lives. And as you think of Noah, this preacher of righteousness pleading with the men around him to come into the ark, it was a bona fide offer a full, free gospel offer to come and be saved from the wrath to come. And when the judgment's over, there'll be a new beginning. That's what gospel preaching is today. We're telling wicked men, rebellious men, mockers and sinners, throw down your rebellion, surrender to the cross, be saved, and enjoy a new beginning with God. I can't say it doesn't matter what your past is. But I can say, in spite of your past, and no, notwithstanding the sins of your life at the cross, there's a new beginning for you, a new walk, a new life. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved. You're guilt-ridden. You, you, you can't even pray because you feel so guilty and ashamed, so estranged from God. There's no thought of how it's possible that you could have peace with God? Well, that's what the gospel message is. There is a way, and it's by a God of mercy. And when you come to the cross and plead the blood of Jesus, it will be right with your soul, and you'll be saved for heaven. That's gospel preaching. And I'm just delighted tonight that I can go to Genesis 8 and 9 and preach the cross. That thrills my heart. And I want you to have this in your Bible reading every day, every day. Now, not every page has the highlights of men like Noah, but there is this progressive revelation of the cross right through the Old Testament. And Lord willing, in Sunday evenings to come, we'll look at more of these pictures. And I pray that tonight your own heart is full and taking hope and consolation that we are saved by a sure and certain arrangement, as was Noah. Let's sing together a closing hymn. It's number 22, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Hymn number 22, Great is Thy Faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions they feel not. 22. Let's stand to sing.
Our dear Lord, we bless Thee for another time of searching the Scriptures to see our blessed Lord. We thank Thee for the plan of the cross, which was eternal. We thank Thee for the revelation of the cross in time. And we thank Thee for the one who gave himself to redeem us and save us by his power. Lord, make us hungry and thirsty for the cross and enable us to tell the story well of Jesus and his love. We pray for a world around us that's dying, that needs our Savior. O oh God, work in grace, we ask. Bless our fellowship now as we tarry together for a time. We thank you for the good things provided. Let your blessing be upon your people in our Savior's precious name. You have been listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of this broadcast or would like to hear it again, you can go to ltbs.ca. You will also see ways you may support this gospel ministry. And you will find details about our church in Scarborough, where Reverend Larry Saunders is the minister, in Port Hope, where Reverend Reggie Cranston is the minister, in Berry, where Reverend Anthony DiDerno is the minister, and in Buffalo, where Reverend Philone is the minister. You will find all their details at ltbs.ca. If I can be of personal help, I would love to open the Bible to talk and pray one-to-one -one with you so that you may know you are saved and sure of it. Call me at 604-897-2040 or email me at ltbsradio at gmail.com. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Until the same time next week on this station, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His loving care.